Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by Tops. Check out Tops.com and Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with a friendly, familiar voice, my good friend Todd Zola of Rotowire and of Masters Ball. We team up every year in draft. It is the first draft that I'm a part of for any given season. It begins before the current season ends. So we did one almost a calendar year ago for the 2021 season. It's not going great. It could have gone worse. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to dig into what we did wrong, maybe a few things we did right, try to learn from our mistakes and talk about some ways that we're going to possibly shift our focus and change our approach as our 2022 version of this league rapidly approaches. Todd, how's it going for you on this Thursday? Thanks for joining me. Yeah, but it, you said, you know, you see the athletic at the beginning and I, I guess I'm used to it by now. I'm used to hearing other other things, but that's all good. So I'm, I'm glad to be uh Glad to be a, a semi, semi, uh, not so much frequent, but semi-annual, once a month guest for you. Usually, when when someone can't make it, huh? Well, there's a lot of reasons, <laughs> but see, we, we've hit the point in the year where I have to reach out to my friends who are way more baseball than football, or yeah. just baseball only in some cases, because a lot of people have that split responsibility and. It is a lot more difficult to find baseball guests this time of year than it is uh, most other times of year. Uh, so I really appreciate you joining yeah, no me problem. today, especially on short notice. But the Kenyan League, as we'll call it, is one of the most fun drafts of the league of the year because we always we always team up in this and we have no projections to go off of, right? And recency bias is as strong as it can possibly be when the previous season hasn't even ended yet. It's a 15-team format. It's filled with uh, experienced NFBC players. So there's there's really, I don't know. I mean, could it could it be a harder league? Sure, but it's it's a difficult league, and the unique circumstances of the league make it even more difficult uh, to look back at what we did last year. I think is sort of helpful. So just to sort of set up what we did and why we did it, we had the eighth pick in the draft last season. We started with Juan Soto, got our first pitcher in round two with Max Scherzer. And then things started to fall apart pretty quickly thereafter because <laughs> at the time, I remember having this exchange with you probably on Gchat or text. We thought that Adalberto Mondesi actually paired perfectly with Juan Soto. And I think in theory we were right, but in practice it turned out to be very wrong. I'm wondering if maybe the broader problem is that the need for steals may have been slightly exaggerated, not just by us, but by the fantasy community as a whole, as you've seen how your leagues have played out and how various strategies have worked, do you believe that to be true for this season? Well, first off, when you said no projections, I started to shake a little bit. <laughs> uh, but uh, now the you know what? To be honest with you, I'm not going to say I disagree because this, to me, I, my teams are short on steals this year, primarily because I didn't I didn't get a pick. It wasn't by design. But if you don't get one of the, you know, the early picks that also steal bases, wait a minute, Ronald Acuna, Mookie Betts, Kristen Yelich, maybe, maybe there aren't any, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't think you can use that as an excuse. Um, it just, it, 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 the way, my teams are short on steals. That, that is for sure. But it's not because I didn't draft Mookie Betts or, or Ronald Acuna because those teams don't have steals either. I just, I don't know that I made up enough ground later getting five here 10 here 15 there uh to be competitive and, and you, as you're kind of suggesting you don't need a ton so sure maybe maybe we were a little aggressive 
with Mondesi to pair up with Soto on paper. I'm also beginning to think one of my faults in drafting is trying to be too cute. I love the idea of roster construction being very, very important, but I not, not at the expense of forcing lesser players onto your roster for roster construction. I think the ideal drafter will construct a winning roster as they go and not leave stats on the table early. They understand the roster construction and by the end they'll have it. I don't know that you have to force it uh, like, like, like maybe we tried to do. I don't know. I'm looking, you know, though I'm looking at the picks that went right afterwards. Okay. Xander Bogart's, down year, at least the second half. Glaber Torres, we know what's going He's going through. Luis Robert was hurt. Kyle Tucker would have been a good pick. Mm-hmm. Anthony Rodon was hurt. So it, it seems to me this third round was was kind of kind of a, a I don't know, a, not a whole lot of goodness. Whit Merrifield won the third and excellent. Zach Gallon down. Kenny Mayeda, ooh, and Luis Castillo. This third round was kind of a, I don't know, a, a landmine. So, uh I don't know who we could have taken instead, but we may be having the same discussion with a different player. I don't know. Well, and I, I wonder just how pricey modesty is going to be in yeah. 2022 because he can be he can be a way of getting half the steals you need from one roster spot. The double-edged sword. The problem we are currently dealing with is that, yeah, if, if he'd been healthy all year, I think we could pretty safely say he would have stolen at least 25 bags over whoever we were plugging in in the middle infield anyway like it that's just the way Mondesi is as a player so we'd at least be competitive in the category and if he did more than that if he gave us 30 or 35 bags we'd be at least top half in the league in the category so that's almost 10 standings points that we lost as a result of that injury and I think that's one of the things with Mondesi that makes him so appealing is that you can obviously just do so well in one category if if he stays healthy but I think it kind of does go back to the compromise you were talking about where a really good player isn't forcing Mondesi onto his or her roster knowing that there are better overall players on the board at that time. Now, the third round was a mess, like you said. I think Starling Marte was probably the next good speed player. He went in the middle of round four, actually one pick before our turn came back up. And I don't know what we would have done if Marte had been there, if Lindy Hinkleman hadn't taken Starling Marte in the fourth round if we would have taken him saying now we've got steals totally covered with Mondesi and Marte, or if we would have said that's overkill on steals early, we got to make sure we address something else. I'm not quite sure how we would have played that, uh, but it's interesting to me that, you know, you, you could, you could take a player that is so much more air quotes boring, and it actually would probably have been the right pick in most circumstances, as opposed to the, the high risk, high reward player that Mondesi tends to be. Yeah, you see, I remember the exact part. I forgot the exact word to use, but I think you said better players in Mondesi. I don't know if if Mondesi plays 150 games, he's simply the best fantasy player there is, at least in the in a vacuum. If I mean, maybe he doesn't have the the you know, if you just plug him into a formula with 20 homers and 50 steals, which is what I'm not even sure that's an upside projection. I think that's what you can expect if he plays 150 games. He's the best player in fantasy. All right, maybe I guess Fernando Tatis. So I don't know if it's better, but they're safer players. So that's there's going to be a lot of a lot of players. Especially, and, and that's what's fun about this Kenyan draft is that, like you said, we're we're all I don't know, so we're going blind, but it's it's 
it, it's how you feel. It's it's recency bias. It's 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 first gut. It's 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 how you feel. Forget numbers. Where's Trout gonna go? Where's Montesi gonna go? Where's Marte gonna go on the on the flip side? Right? Where's mm-hmm. Degrom gonna go? We you know, there's no established value because we don't know the market. We just and there's a couple of people in this league at least as we know are what have you done for me lately? That if Montesi has continues on this month, he could go in the first round. This is and that's the way these people draft. And like you mentioned, we don't have the cachet built up to be able to other than you know to 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 denigrate the picks because it's not like we've won five years in a row. Although I think we would have won in 2020 had they played the season out. We didn't end up playing. I'm just kind of tongue in cheek. But um <laughs> I do remember liking our draft, but I remember liking all five of our drafts. So so much for that idea, right? But um, so that that's to me, that's the one of the beauties of this draft. Someone who is accused of and probably is a little too spreadsheet numbers oriented. The the fun of this draft for me is I, I don't have spreadsheets. It's, it's all on a whim. So I'm curious to see. You know, Montesi's got six deals in, his, in in September so far. He can get twenty for the month. He's not going to get twenty for the month. But are you going to get double you know, mid teens steals in one month? you know, if, if he looks healthy, someone's going to bite the bullet. It just, uh, it's just, that's to me, it's, it's the, it's both frustrating and exciting that, you know, it's, it's kind of the yin yang, the, the down to the earth numbers person versus, you know, it's this it's game theory. You you need to make certain picks to win. Right. And I think, a big part of why I like sharing a team with you is I think we can balance each other out pretty well, especially over the course of the season. I think just looking at the way I build a team tends to be more high variance when it hits. It's great when it doesn't, I'm scrambling, just trying to stay top half. And I don't think that's the optimal way to play. I think it's one way to play. And I think it's a fun way to play. I don't think it's the most fun way or the smartest way to play. So I'm trying to be, more balanced in the way I think about players. And I, I think this is something that working with you has really helped my game with over the time. Now, I think the the other question though, who, who's going to be in the first round? Like th- that whole question is I think more complicated than usual because Acuna is coming off of the ACL injury. So the timetable for him, especially if we're drafting three weeks from now, that's still up in the air. Tatis has the shoulder. He says he's not going to have shoulder surgery, but that could change depending on how he feels a month from now or whenever the Padres season is officially over, you have some holdovers in the first round. I think Soto stays in the first round. He's putting together a big second half. Mookie Betts, even in a down year, probably stays in the first round. Maybe it's late first round. I've seen some Mike Trout Twitter polls popping up, putting him out there, kind of wondering if if he's actually still a first rounder. In my eyes, he still is. If we had the same pick, if we had the eighth pick in the draft this year, I would at least Think about Trout at eight, even if I don't necessarily take him there. I think Garrett Cole's still there. Trey Turner probably moves up from where he's been in the past. Maybe an easy top five guy because of his ability to to hit every single category. And you got Jose Ramirez, right? So you get the two guys up top with the injury risk. You got six more guys that I think are pretty safely first rounders. And then everybody else who was a first rounder is a maybe at best. The two maybes, DeGrom. If he's healthy, of course he is, but we're not going to know how healthy he's going to be at the end of this month. And then Freddie Freeman, who's somehow boring, but returns first round value or close to it every single year. I think the easy knows guys that have been hurt or suspended, Bieber, Yelich, Story, Giolito, Bauer. Obviously, there's just there's five guys right there that are not going in the first round of drafts. 
and even the next five after that from ADP at the end of March. Darvish, I think, is a clear no. Harper is a, probably an easy yes for the late part of round one because he was only a couple slots away from a first-round ADP at the end of last draft season. Bellinger's a no. Lindor's a no. Aaron Nola's a no. Uh, so there's actually a good bit of movement, I think, as we look at how the first round is going to shape up because of all the injuries that we had throughout this season. Right. And, I mean, guys that might move in, I think, obviously, Vlad is now a first-round fixture without the steals, right? And if we take a look at his numbers, he's still been productive. And some I probably saw a tweet, I saw a couple of people saying that it's because he left the two parks early on and he's not hitting as well. It's, it's not, it has nothing to do with leaving uh, Dunedin and then Buffalo. Uh, the, the park factors aren't that much of a, of a, of a deal for what he's done. And, and some other Toronto players have performed better since they moved back to Rogers Center. So I don't think it's anything to do with that, although that will be a narrative. Uh, you mentioned Trout. Um, I don't know anymore. I mean, if we're at number eight, I'm going to be I'm going to be lobbying for bets. And I know it's going to depend. And we're not going to know, unfortunately, until uh, if he's going to have surgery, unless we unless something bad happens and, he, you know, or what the repercussions are going to be. But if he's healthy next year, I think people are forgetting just how good he is. The thing with Trout in last year, it was a shortened season. So we don't know. I mean, he only missed a couple of days on paternity. He was pretty at 53 out of the 60 games. But he could very well end up at 36 games this year, 134, 140, 114. He hasn't played a full season since 2016. Anybody but Mike Trout, we'd be talking about their injury risk, and we'd be pushing him into the fourth, fifth, or sixth round. But there's FOMO on literally you know, the best player in the game. So I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be – in this league, I'd probably, all right, it's our only chance to get Mike Trout. Sure, let's take him at number eight. But, you know, it's it's a you know, it's a lower entry fee, high stakes league. I don't I don't know that I could put whatever the, the fee is nowadays to in the in the main event to uh I don't know that I could drop that and, and trust Mike Trout. I know people saying, well, you need the upside to win. No, you don't. You need steady performance to win. I if it's anybody Mike Trout with that injury history. You know he's dropping three or four rounds. It's true. I, I think the the reason I would still be clinging to Trout as a possible first rounder when you look at rest of season projections, which I think this is going to lead us to another kind of interesting sidebar. But when you look at rest of season projections, he's still on a per game basis, even though he might not come back this year, projected to have one of the best slash lines in the league. So it is really all about durability and, and less about skills. There are some concerns maybe that the K rate jumped up this year before the injuries at 28.1%. It was easily a career high for him. Uh, still drawing walks, still showing power, still doing most of the things that Mike Trout has always done. How much do you think we can lean on rest of season projections just in terms of like slash line for hitters and then some core skill stuff like strikeout and walk rate uh, for pitchers as guides for what the 2022 projections might look like since we're going into the early draft without them. And because those systems aren't always available when people start getting into, you know, the draft champions leagues and the things that pop up earlier in draft season. Well, yeah, the thing, I mean, rest of season, it depends on who's doing the rest of season projection and what the method is. I do them and I try to incorporate a weighted average of current skills and expected skills with the current skills um, taking over greater and greater as the season goes on. Uh, I don't want to use stability points because they're a little bit 
the, the way they're some people use them in a bit in error, but it, it is that idea. Some skills do stabilize or become real a little faster, and the weighted average uh, tends to be more towards then. But the point being, at, at this point, with what three weeks left, whatever it might be, uh, close to it, the the most accurate rest of season projection is what the players done. Um, we're doing a tout table this week about tough drops. And there's a couple of people that are saying, I'm still not dropping a star because he's a star and I expect him to perform well. Well, talk to me about Cody Bellinger, right? Are you doing that with Cody Bellinger? Are you, are you still playing Cody Bellinger because he's had MVP type seasons in the past based on what he's doing this year? The best projection of Cody Bellinger isn't expecting a 300, whatever, you know, whatever, well, 280 average, whatever he normally does, and then weighted average of what he's done. The best projection for Corey Bellinger is what he's done, which is nothing. So I think at this point of the year, the they're not they're they're different, right? They're they are a little bit different, but I I do think the best that once we get into September, mid September, expect the player to do what he's done for the previous five and a half months. Yeah, I guess with the example of Bellinger, too, clearly something's wrong health wise. Like a player doesn't decline that much that quickly the shoulder surgery has had some sort of impact on Bellinger this year probably a massive one and I I think of the player like Bellinger it's really difficult to look at projections and and say oh yeah they got it right because when I start seeing what I assume to be lower projections for Bellinger than we've seen probably in the last two or three draft seasons my mind is going to say with an offseason to rest if he goes through a normal offseason no surgeries you know, starts going through his usual routine in November. The ramp up to the season is good. He feels great going into spring training. It's going to be very easy for me to assume that most of what happened this year is not really who he is because of how much a major injury shaped who he was for this one season. Perhaps didn't have a very good season last year, uh, hitting 239, OBP of 333. Um, then the, he, he was kind of down in 2018 and when he, you know, bounced back in MVP season in 2019, but it wasn't 2018 wasn't anywhere near where it is now. So he's going to be, he is, it is tough about the injury, but the point being, he's not going to get healthy in two weeks either. So, so, uh, I don't know that you can uh, expect, well, he's, he, he's usually really good. There's, there's a chance he gets really good again, whatever lingering injury, is going to keep him down, I, I suspect. But he's an interesting, you know, person in this draft. It's you know, where you're going to draft Bellinger. It's one of those things where, especially in the Canyon draft, I don't know. I'm not going to go into it. We're not going to go into it saying if Bellinger's there in the six, we'll take him. It's going to be one of those things where he's on the board and the light bulb's kind of going to go off for both of us and say, you know what? I like what we have here. I like what we do there. I think we can take the chance. And I, you know, I think it'll take both of us having that epiphany in the same place at the same round for it to occur. But um, I think that's what I'm going to have to treat a lot of these players is even when I have their projections, it's that's just a number. It's just a static number. There's upside, downside, a lot of other. You know, there's going to be more players this year where it's going to be, it's not based strictly on feel, but I'm going to have more, you know, does it feel right drafting that projection? Because it's just a projection than ever before it's normally that's what i expect i need this out of this spot i'm taking this player i'm gonna it's gonna be a lot more do i feel comfortable with that 
not so much with the projection, because if I didn't feel comfortable, that wouldn't be my projection. But there's a difference between feeling comfortable drafting that projection just because there's error bars on the other side. I want to look at a few more of these players that could take the spot of someone like Bellinger, the, the new possible first rounders. You mentioned yeah. Vlad Jr. I think he's there. I think he's very similar to Freddie Freeman in terms of what we think he's going to do from a fantasy perspective, but because he's younger, we can have more of a, a pie in the sky sort of, yep. uh, uh, you know, batting yep. average plus more home runs would be the, the expectation. So I think he'll, he'll be a pretty safe first rounder. Shohei Otani is probably a first rounder, even in weekly leagues, which is amazing to me. I, I think the market will treat him as such. Do you think that is right based on what Otani showed all of us over the course of this season? If we're doing a retro, well, I know you, how you can do a retro draft and try to figure out how much you're going to use Otani in hitting and how much you can use him in pitching, unless you just replay the season on a weekly basis. Uh, on paper, sure, he is. Now, the, I mean, there's, there's going to be, I hate to use the word regression, but there's going to be some regression next year just because there always is in either direction that you always go to the mean. And he, he's probably not going to have as good of a season. He's, he, he's still injury prone. But he's always made it through, so I think I think he's going to be. I think it's going to take a first rounder to get a Shohei Otani. And I'm, I, what I'm saying to myself is, if he didn't pitch, would I take him in the first round? Because after you know anything else is gravy. And you know what? I probably because he runs. So the batting average isn't going to be great. It's going to kind of be in the. He's kind of going to be in the Jose Ramirez area where they both just pound out the counting stats and you have to worry about the average a bit but Ramirez is a clean first rounder so I'm going to, when I look at Otani I'm just going to say I don't even care if he doesn't pit if he's not a pitcher for me is he a first round batter and I think he is yeah that speed is huge from a guy that offers that much power and even if you want to regress him down and say he's probably more of a 30 home run guy in a typical year and maybe he's only going to steal 15 to 20 bases. That still works. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> still that's still a first rounder. So I, I would agree with you. I mean, I think if you end up getting to a point in the year where somehow your roster is broken away, maybe you've lost some pitchers to injury and Otani's pitching really well and you throw him in for a few starts and someone else just fills the UT spot for a couple lineup periods. That's just nice to have that flexibility, but it's not necessarily something that in weekly leagues you have to price in because the hitting alone, I would agree with you, is worth a first-round pick. I wonder if he's going to crack the top five of a lot of drafts just because of 40 homers and 20 steals being such a, such a great combo to have and so few players being healthy going into the offseason. That's, that's part of the appeal with Otani, too. But yeah, I think everyone's going to argue that he carries the elevated injury risk doing two jobs because he does. Like Most of your great hitters, none of them, none of them have to go out and try and pitch. That adds the possibility of... Uh, suffering a devastating arm injury, and that's that's always going to be kind of lingering there in the background as the the unfun part of who has become one of the, maybe the most fun players we've ever seen. Not only that, he's a left-handed batter, which means his right hand is more vulnerable, right, to get hit. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's not as even if he's protecting. He's he's had a couple starts pushed off because he's got hit in the hand. And I think we're ta- we're actually in a period. Where that it might he may you know next start might be delayed etc. So that's not only I mean he's he's even more of a risk just because his his pitching hand is more susceptible more vulnerable 
to a pitcher uh, hitting him, if you will. So if you tell me the order of the Kenyon draft, I can tell you if he'll go in the top five. <laughs> <laughs> I, think we, I think we both know someone will take him in the top five, who will take him in the top five. But um, anyway, it just uh, I, I'm kind of blessed to have him in a league uh, run by our colleague and friend Perry Van Hook, where you can make moves uh, Monday and th- and Friday. And I have him in this league just because it's so fun. Uh, it's also fun leading this league right now. So I mean, I could I have to make I can I can start him on a Monday and put him in UT for the rest of the week, or vice versa. That way, I mean, I, he, there's no way. I mean, I get him in the seventh. I mean, he's going. He may go in the first round of that. He he could be the first pick in that league. Yeah, yeah. Twice weekly lineup changes probably <laughs> nudges up that value a good bit. I mean, it's interesting because Soto's missed some time this year with with an injury. Trey Turner, I think, lost some time due to COVID around the time he was traded. Those guys have only played just a little more in terms of plate appearances than Otani this season. Yeah. So this is where you start looking at the, the leaderboards for just plate appearances and Otani's top 50 among qualified players. He plays plenty. And I wonder if, is there room for him to play even more or is this sort of his equivalent of a, a 700 plate appearance season, right? You see that sometimes from yeah. leadoff guys that never get a day off, like Marcus Simeon a few years ago. Simeon might do it again, by the way, which is yep. actually pretty amazing. Whit Merrifield does this too, but is this season sort of the absolute most the Angels could possibly push him or the most we could expect them to push him? And I'm going to treat the situation as though that is the case, even though I can't say that with certainty. We have no idea. Maybe they could push him harder. Maybe they want to push him harder. Maybe he wants to play even more, but I think he played enough to justify uh, that first round pick. The other guy that I want to talk about is Cedric Mullins. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, yeah, recency bias, you, we want to be careful and, and not uh, just buy into the the first-time first-rounder and, and not think it through. But he's doing this on a, a bad team. They're going to be bad again next year. Plenty of green lights, right? He's 26 for 33 as a base dealer. He's got 27 homers. The K rate's good. The walk rate's good. He's hitting the ball in the air more than ever. I mean, Cedric Mullins is doing every single thing you can do to kind of back this up as something that might be sustainable. And if you said, DVR, I want to take him with a top 10 pick, I would be nervous. And I guess I'm I'm trying to figure out if that's unfair based on what we're actually seeing or if it's good common sense based on the track record prior to this season, which I think might matter less for Mullins as someone who gave up switch hitting. Yep, that's part of it. And I, I, I mentioned it a couple times that in, in 2018, I liked what I saw, and I was high on him going into 2019. And I don't remember if you were in the same labor draft as I was that year, but I bit him into the high teens, and I think somebody knew my numbers and knew I would be willing to go after him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, of course, he had a really terrible 2019 and is now, you know, bounced back a little bit last year and now this year. There is, I mean, sure, is, is there some luck and will it be some, you know, I said regression involved? Yeah, he's going to be hard-pressed. Mullins to repeat a 907 OPS. I know we don't like OPS as a stat, but it's, you know, and this just to, as a, as a, you know, as a point of uh, a reference point, you know, it's, it's okay. Um, the, 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 like you mentioned the speeds there, you might, you talk about the team, the team con, the team quality, the Baltimore is bad more so because they're pitching the, the top of that order where Mullins is going to be Austin Hayes, Anthony Santander, Ryan Mountcastle, uh, maybe Adley Rushman next year. They're not, they can score some runs, especially at home. 
So is he going to get dinged? You know, sure. Would you rather have him in the middle of that Toronto lineup? Oh, sure. Absolutely. But I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think, you know, that he's not a first rounder because he's on the Orioles. I'm not saying he was saying this either, but he's not a first rounder because he's on the Orioles. You know, that's not the case. Uh, you know, so he's down a handful of RBI. He's still going to squeeze. Does he have a chance at hundred runs? Maybe he's, he's at 82 now. So he's going to need, you know, need to keep producing, but he's got a chance in a hundred runs and he, he missed some games. He's only going to probably play. Well, no, there's 20, there's 20 something games left. So he has a, he has a shot in a hundred runs. We'll see what happens. But, you know, I, I think it might get to the, it might get to where maybe it's in the 12th or 13th pick. And this is where I'm saying, is it smart to think like this and try to do it? Or is it smart just to take the better player? Maybe we say, all right, let's take Freddie Freeman now and take Mullins in the flip, uh, you know, something like that, as, as opposed to just taking Mullins with a 12th pick and then taking a power hitter the next time, because we, if we, if we actually like Mullins more trying to trying to be greedy and get them both. Um, that's the sort of the, the, the thinking, the talking to myself I'm going to have to do is, you know, in years past, I would have taken I'm take Freeman and, you know, sweat out the next six picks and try to take Mullins as opposed to just taking Mullins and figuring out power from there. Yeah, I, I think I'd be if you trust Mullins enough to even consider it, I think you take him because of the scarcity of the steals and because there are more players that can come close to what Freeman brings in his profile than there are possible 30-30 guys. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's that's the way I would approach that if you had a pick near the back of the first round and we're, and we're thinking about Mullins. I, I think if you said decide right now, I'd be inclined to take him in that range, in that 12 to 15 range. I'd be comfortable with it further research is necessary but this seems real yeah we just have to make sure that if dan asks us if we need a replacement that we don't recommend justin mason joining the league ah is is uh is mullins a big justin guy yeah you could he he has mullins as a restraining order against him <laughs> he yeah, used to no, be george just, springer justin, a few years ago yeah justin was on was on me yeah yeah uh justin was on mason in a big way it's 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 an internet meme if you will but um yeah, no, it's uh, it's uh, and I don't blame him. I don't, I don't blame him. He was one of those, you know. We all, we all have our guys, and once in a while, we get lucky. Yeah, I mean Mullins, though. I'm looking back. Where did he go in this draft this year? Twenty first round. Yeah, that uh, that'll work. You know, it's pretty good, pretty good twenty first round pick. Uh, some other names here as we think about the way this early part of the board should look. I think Walker Bueller is a first round pitcher. I would say that. You know, with Bieber falling clearly out of that group, with Degrom possibly falling out, Bueller at, at last glance was the highest earning pitcher uh, on the RotoWire earn values. And team's good, skills are good, age is just right. I mean, I, I think we're going to see some drafts where Bueller is probably the very first pitcher off the board for 2022. Yeah, especially NFBC, which is going to push pitching. Absolutely, he he'll be one of the few. At least he has a chance. I think Zach Wheeler, we can talk about him too. I think Zach Wheeler is a lock for 200 innings. Um, uh, Adam Wainwright may, <laughs> might get there. Andy Alcantara needs needs either seven innings over three starts or uh, get that fourth start on short rest for him to make it. But Bueller is the fourth pitcher who uh, has a pretty good shot, especially if the Dodgers can't really play games, uh, and, you know, to, to get that 
wild card or try to get the division and continue continue to pitch. Bueller is the fourth one that could potentially get 200 innings. So that is an initial. Yeah, for sure. To me, he's a a first round pitcher in the NFBC just because that's what the NFBC does. I don't think you can take DeGrom. Well, injury, we don't know what's going to happen in the offseason, but I don't I don't think you can take DeGrom in the first round. And I mean, unless you want to put unless Zach Wheeler gets the the first round bump because I need him and I can't win without a pitcher in the first. I mean, Garrett Cole has shown he doesn't need the uh the the enhanced grip to do well. I know he left his last start early, but previous to that, he was you know, back to dominating again. I don't know. Scherzer's a year older. He, you know, he's done fine for us in the second round, but I don't think you push him to the first round. Nola, Gallon, you know, younger guys, they haven't pitched well enough to be accelerated into that area. So um, that's why I think someone like Wheeler may get there more by default than Woodruff probably and Corbin Burns. Uh, Cause hopefully the, the, uh, the, the innings won't be an issue for them next year because they're both going to have plenty this year. Yeah, uh, unless people are worried about them, you know, being tired from having won the World Series or, or something. There is that. Yeah, there is that. Uh, I'm, I'm just dreaming mostly. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. It's, it's you. You can dream a lot harder than I can at this point. I'm okay with that. There's there's another name, Chris Sale. Yeah, because people, you know, where does Chris Sale go next year? If he if he continues on this pathway of looking, you know, pretty good, but not the best in the league, like he may have been in his salad days, I think he's going to be in this in this top three round consideration. You know, offhand, I I need to do a little bit more digging, but I'm almost I, I almost think that that maybe in a draft champions or something like that, I may I may want to look for three hitters and then take the Aaron Nola discount because I I don't believe he forgot how to pitch. Yeah, I think he'll slide probably to the yeah. back part of the top 50, maybe even top 60. So yeah, fourth round does that. seem about right for him. Uh, the park is the main thing I always worry about with him, but durability's there, command's good, stuff's certainly not bad. So I could see that being a good uh, you know, wait for the first SP strategy. Do you think the, the way pitching has played out this year is going to take away some of the appeal of the, the pocket ace approach? That uh, that Toby Batflip Crazy has really been uh, kind of pushing for a little while now. Not he's not the only one, of course, but he's the guy that I think I associate that strategy with. I mean, we've seen that really become more common, especially in the NFBC area uh, in, in these last couple of seasons. I think we need to find out um, first of all what Phil's going to do. Uh, <laughs> uh, didn't does, didn't Phil draft a ground in the first and is still crushing everybody? Jeez. Or am I th- getting that mixed up? But anyway, so uh, I. I I think it's going to, I mean, I think people are going to have to see how it all worked out. And it's funny how, you know, what we can talk about and what we see. And we, you know, we're talking about the Kenya League in three weeks and then starting into some draft champions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What we talk about and we'll be talking about all the way through February and what actually happens in March once everybody's in that room, knock on wood, live this year in the main event and pitching just, just flies. Uh, I, I, you know, kind of two different stories. I, I kind of, you know, there's reasons why, but I haven't been able to participate in the main for the fast past few years. So I just had to kind of watch it on the outside looking in. So, you know, to, to actually get involved. But if, you know, if I was back in the main, I I'm longing for those days where people didn't feel they needed to draft pitching to win 
and it was kind of, well, you got to draft pitching to win, but draft, you know, double, you know, pocket aces where it was more of, you know, kind of, they were drafted kind of relative to where everybody thought they were worth. Um, as opposed to if I don't draft pitching early, I'm going to, because it just goes against my nature. It's more, not so much sour grapes, but it's, it's more of, it just goes against my nature to draft pitching that early. Then, uh, you know, I understand why and, and, you know, do it if I have to, but, um, I'm, you know, looking to see what other, what other, you know, other, other, not helium pitchers, but what other pitchers, Alec Manoa, I I think is going to be into, into that, you know, top four round Sandy Alcantara, maybe, into that top four round Lance, you know, where does Lance Lynn go? I think he needs to come back and and have a strong playoff. But um, I think, you know, Lance Lynn is probably elevated. He went the sixth here. He probably, I think he's at least a fourth rounder at at this point. So uh, Mike Clevenger coming back, how how much are people going to trust Clevenger? So it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting. And I just be a new group. Blake Snell, this Blake Snell is a third rounder. Is this the real Blake Snell? It's a second rounder. If this, if the current Blake Snell is the Blake Snell, yeah, less is more right now with the, yeah. the pitch mix for Blake Snell. It's working for yeah. him. Yeah, Jack Flaherty's lost a lot of time this season to injuries. Mm-hmm. When he's been out there, he's been great, returning value. I would say in line with some of the expectations for him. How much of a discount do you get on Flaherty? Maybe you get more early in draft season where he's falling into the third or early part of the fourth round. But I think he'll creep back up as long as he's healthy, you know, moving through draft season. But I think this is probably what Gene McCaffrey's original statement. I don't know if someone ever said it before him. Any strategy can work with the right players, right? Like that's sure. Like it it comes down to building around the right guys, making the right calls, not not throwing picks away on on players that end up getting hurt or, or falling short of expectations. I don't I don't want to be boxed into any strategy. I don't want to be boxed into I need 50 steals by the end of the third round or I need two pitchers in the first three rounds. I, I just think you you start to choose players for the wrong reasons when you create these unnecessary yeah. rules for how to build a great team. The simpler rules just don't make mistakes. Don't be an idiot. And uh, I look back at results sometimes and I say, was I an idiot there? Was that bad process? Was that forcing something? Uh, the thing that surprises me looking back at how we played in the Kenyan League this year, usually and if you look at the back half of any draft, you've got a handful of picks that you're like, yeah, I crushed it. We got this guy here. We got this guy in the 22nd. We got this guy in the 26th. We got this guy in the 15th. And you see those those value picks and you've got your misses sprinkled in too. But I would say of most of the drafts I've looked back at so far from 2021, this is one where we didn't have a lot of hits in the back half of the draft in particular, which is really bizarre. I mean, the Will Smith was fine as a closer in the 16th round. Wander, I think, has been great. We had to wait forever to actually use him. We got him in the 20th. Uh, but you look at some of these other guys that we, Emmanuel Class A in the 28th, we have three. We have three guys we hit on. I bet the rest of that roster after about round 15 has been completely turned over over the course of this year. And I think that's a big part of why our offense has struggled. We did a good job building a great pitching base in the early rounds, and those late-round bats just didn't come through for us at all. Yeah, I mean, Carlos Santana probably earned 23rd-round value, but whoopee-ding, right? And Austin Gomber, he was probably dropped before he was able to actually pitch well for us, both not us, but pitch well both home and away. Michael Kopech never actually started. So mm-hmm. we, it, it didn't, you know, Kirby Yates was obviously uh, injured at the beginning. But something else that, you know, specifically what I think we need to talk about 
you know, I was offline, if not here, is I don't I, I wrote the number down. I don't remember exactly what it is. But we've gotten, I think, 56 pitching points the past two years. And, you know, we've crushed pitching, but we've fallen short on bats. So if we're collectively, you know, it could just two years, it just could be the way it is. But if we're collectively good at putting together a pitching staff, so this year we drafted uh, Gray and Berrios, Sonny Gray and Berrios, Brios in the fifth and sixth. Maybe one of those should have been a bat. You know, we probably we wouldn't have won, but you know, maybe one of those should have been a bat. And because we're pretty good at, at getting pitching, maybe we didn't need to, to double tap pitching at that point. And I mean, we got Zach Greinke later, who fortunately we were one year not too late because he's still having a good season slowing down a little bit. You know, we waited a long time for pitching, but you know, well, you know, it's something we'll, we'll see how the thing flows, but you know, we have a knack for putting together a decent pitching staff in this league or picking up pitching to supplement the staff. Maybe we need to know bully hitting early. We'll see how that, we'll see how that, we'll see how it goes, but we have gotten 56 pitching points uh, each of the past two seasons. Well, we didn't play 2020 in 2019. So it's just something to at least keep in mind in that, you know, we, we we seem to have the pitching code cracked, but dang, we need to get better hitters. I wonder if we are less susceptible to recency bias than the field, so we don't step on to the, you know, the pitchers that don't belong higher up the board, because you know, Scherzer fell to us in two, right? That seemed kind of boring at the time, but Scherzer often returns ample early round <laughs> value. Gray and Barrios in five and six, those those guys weren't... You know, first time early rounders like there's there's a pattern at least here with the first four Grinky was the other one where we kind of just sat back and, and took the more boring pitchers yeah. and maybe that's part of it too is that we're we're not necessarily looking for the shiny new toys and that costs us you know the occasional Corbin Burns right if we take in Corbin Burns over Sonny Gray our pitching would be even better we'd probably have 60 pitching points or 65 pitching points right but I think you're probably right. Like there's there's something a little off in in the way that we're building offenses in this league. I wonder if there's anything year over year that we're repeating pattern wise. Like the Luke Voigt pick seems really odd to me looking at it now. Like I, I want to know what we were thinking at the time, and I, I almost wonder if we have old messages where we were going back and forth about that and how we landed on on Voigt in that spot. Well, I mean, he's coming off leading the league in homers, and it looked like he had the job. And it didn't look like it was luck. I mean, I thought that I, to me, he was a, it did not appear to be uh, out of the blue. And I think it was substantiated, um, you know, looking to see who, you know, who would, you know, Vlad, would we have taken Vlad coming back? Yeah. If he had lasted two more picks, would we have taken Vlad instead of Voight? I think we would have. I, you know, I don't, I, you know, Raphael Devers went two picks before that. If one of those guys happened to have fallen, I think we probably would have lucked into a a better batter because the ones afterwards, all right, Albies is good. Eric Hosmer went. Um, that's recency bias. You know, Oscar, T. Oscar Hernandez and, you know, Kesson Hura, George Springer. These were all the next hitters. And you kind of have to go a ways to find another the next sort of really impact batter you know, you should have taken Voight. You should have taken. I think looking at who would have available to us at that at this point may have maybe part of influence the decision, as we talked about, and I think it's going to be the case again this year. There's there's a huge drop off. I mean, there's some solid batters, but then there's going to be a drop off, and I think that that's right around the area of the drop off. 
Yeah, Ozzy Albies right after us was the pick that you look at it now and you're like, hmm, oh, yeah, yeah. that would have been the right call. And yeah, again, especially we didn't have a middle infielder. Well, no, we had Mondesi, but we still could have used him. Yeah, I wonder if we felt like we just needed an extra power bump because of Mondesi or sure. what exactly was crossing our mind. But we got JD Martinez in the seventh, which sort of made up for the time that Voight missed. So things were looking okay there. Matt Chapman in the eighth. He's starting to come around now, just a few months right. too late. So maybe that wasn't a horrible pick there. It's, the, it's that bottom half, though. Like Michael Brantley in the 10th is fine, but Ian Happ was a bust, even though he's starting to wake up now. Gavin Lux in the 12th. I've said this on the podcast many times. Probably one of the players I've been the most wrong about so far. He'll obviously fall quite a bit from that spot, given the uncertainty about playing time. And obviously yeah. a lot's going to change with the Dodgers roster between now and when most people start drafting. But I bet he'll be a great discount for us early on because no one's going to have a clue what they're going to do at that point. We double-tapped catchers. Austin Nola got hurt for a while. Gary Sanchez in the 14th actually has been a good pick. Uh, Kirby Yates, unfortunately, blew out his arm in the 15th. I mentioned Smith in the 16th earlier, pretty good closer pick. But yeah, like it, it's we chased some speed in the 19th with John Birdie. I think that was a, a desperation play because a lot of the middle-round bats that we ended up with were guys that don't run. You know, Even from the J.D. Martinez right. pick down to those two catchers, we didn't get eight to 10 steel guys to put behind Mondesi. That might be part of the mistake. It might not be necessarily that we took Mondesi and put too many eggs in one basket, so to speak, with that category. It might be that we just didn't do a good job seeking out those long tail speed guys, as I call them, as part of our other core hitters. Right, and maybe that's where being able to get one at that, you know, in five, at five or at six, although I'm looking, who would it, you know, who would it have been? You know, now that we have the draft board in front of us, but you know, potentially there instead of double tapping pitchers, well, not double double tapping because we're in eighth, exactly the middle. But you know, perhaps we could have gotten a little bit more speed at that point, or maybe, or maybe we could have gotten the speed. Maybe, well, maybe it would have been Albies. We didn't, you know, didn't get it with Voight. I don't know. It's uh, it's it is kind of hard in in retrospect to figure out exactly what we're thinking and and what would have been better, but um. You know, just kind of looking at this, looking at this board and seeing some of these Denelson Lamette in the fifth and Jesus Lazardo in the fifth. And, you know, this wasn't that long ago. Sixto Sanchez in the fifth. It wasn't that long ago that this is what we were doing. It feels like a football board in some ways, <laughs> like it, just because of the the limited, the reduced information that we all had as we put it together. That's why it's, it's such a fun, fun league to be a part of. I want to ask you about a few possible pitfall early round players. We mentioned, yeah. you know, not falling into the trap of, of recency bias with pitching and not to tip our hand too much because I think I imagine at least a couple people in the league might take the time to listen to this pod. Uh, but Robbie Ray, like, okay, what he's done this season is truly amazing. I, I think he does own the skill of having good control now, right? I think you can actually say that after. A full season in which he's completely turned things around. You know, Kevin Gossman's kind of like this for me too, where you look at the the earned value so far, and being in San Francisco certainly helps from a, a pitcher's perspective. Those are two guys I look at and I say, okay, if if they're the the Kenta Maeda and uh, geez, who's the other one that would fit? I mean, if, if if they're in that range, if they're third or fourth rounders going into twenty twenty two. I want no part of them whatsoever. I think they're easy avoids for me at that highly increased price. Gray is so fascinating because you, you alluded to with Gosman, 
in that whether it's confidence or well the, the park is good right i mean the, have, have you have you been to the park yet you're close to the area i went last week actually for the very first time awesome nice. park. oh i've been there a couple of times when i went out to visit lara back in the day but anyway so uh if the, and then the confidence carries over the fascinating thing with robbie ray is he made this transition a in the al east and this is still a while between I mean, I think they were out of Buffalo, but they may have, sorry, out of Dunedin, but in, I mean, they did it in, in hitters' parks. So this transition, even Rogers Center is a hitters' park. To make this transition, it's not a matter of confidence, in other words, right? It's it's all him. So, ah, it's it's, it's so it's so tough now. I'm, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to check, take a look to see what is the contract situation is with Ray. He's, uh, I don't know, is he definitely going to be with the Blue Jays again? One year, $8 million contract with Toronto in 2020. And eyeballing it, looks like he's out of the team control years. Maybe not. I don't know for sure. But um, so it's going to be interesting to see what he commands uh, on the open market if he's if he stays with Toronto, et cetera. I uh, apologize. I should know these things, but I don't know. But no, he's a real uh, free agent. He, he's got yeah, a, okay. a complete clear path to going yeah, wherever he what, wants. I mean, eyeballing, that's what it looks like. I mean, it looks like he's well past the arbitration years. So that's going to be that's going to be really interesting, uh, you know, bringing in you know again with Alec Manoa bringing in Barrios who we know has at least another year. Uh, it's a very comfortable rotation to stay in. That we'll see what happens there. But yeah, I don't. I'd have to. I I believe in Robbie Ray. However, he's still giving up homers. Although the homers are down. I mean, at one point we could say he's still you know he's he's not walking people, but he's still giving up homers. He's only given up two homers over his previous 53 innings. So he's even fixed that. I don't know. This is going to be a, this is going to be a tough one because the numbers, this is where it's going to be. I kind of alluded to it much earlier. The projection is going to be pretty nice. It's going to be, you know, do I, you know, yes, I trust a projection, but you know, do I, do I want to draft that projection? It's he's going to, he's going to be, you know, one of the prime examples of that thinking. I think it's not even because I'm afraid that he's going to just start walking guys again. It's that I don't believe that if he stays in the AL East, that he'll pitch to a home run rate that's acceptable. I think that'll tick up again because there's still it's a big fly ball profile. It's a really difficult place to be if he stays. If he goes, maybe that changes the tune just a little bit. I just think it's an overcorrection. Like I think there's going to be too many people out there who believe that Another sub three ERA and a one, even a one ten whip are coming, and I think I see more of like a high three ERA and a one twenty whip. I see a good pitcher. I don't see a great pitcher, and I think the market is going to push him up and treat him like a great pitcher because he's had a great season in twenty twenty one. So that it's not it's not that I'm out on the skills growth. It's that I'm out on how people are going to react to the skills growth. Well, the. The formulaic projections are going to be breaking in a six six two ERA one nine zero WHIP from last year, uh, last year, and a four three four one three. They're they're going to be including some some junk. So the the steamers and the the, the projections that we're going to see pretty early are not going to be nearly as rosy as we're seeing now. When I do them, when I do mine, I'm going to have to decide: do I over rule the weighted average and, and put more credence into this year and if so how much so 
chances are we're going to see a projection. The numbers you mentioned were kind of what Jose Barrios is at. So, I mean, they may have identical or very close to the, you know, 36370 RA, 1.2, 1.23 whip. They may have almost identical projections next year. Right. And I, I think it's it's kind of fascinating because if you play the Corbin Burns game with Robbie Ray, which I, I didn't have as much Burns as people would expect for being a Brewers fan. I thought right. the price on Burns got a tick too high. If he does it again or if he somehow gets even better, then we're talking about him as a possible first rounder a year from now. And I I don't think it's quite as likely with Robbie Ray in part because he'll be 30 in October and I think he's just closer to a, a finished product at this point, but just seems like one of those guys that I'm not going to have anywhere because of, of overcorrection by the league. I had one more random question we didn't get to when we were talking about the guys that fell out of the first round. And I think this right. is one of their tricky thing for us in the Kenyan league. How good do we expect Trevor story to be if he's no longer calling Coors field home? I think, the safe assumption is that he will leave as a free agent. And if a team's going to pay him in free agency, it's probably a good team contending for now. Maybe he gets a deal similar to what Marcus Simeon did, where it's a one-year prove-it deal to come back around and, and hit free agency again for that multi-year deal a year from now. But what kind of player do you think Story is not having to deal with going in and out of Colorado? Because I think that the latter part of that is something that I, for a long time, underestimated, right? I think DJ LeMayhew has been among the players that have helped me realize that you get the benefits of Coors Field, but there is a drawback to having to go on the road and having breaking pitches you know, look like they're moving a lot differently because, well, they are compared to what you see at home. Well, um, we do have a fairly recent example to kind of look at. And I, I'm not saying this is a victory lap because I'm not, I don't want to go down that road, but to talk about it, I do have to mention that one of my, I don't know, March tweets was I'll bet CJ Crone's slash line is better than Nolan Arenado's, but Arenado's going to play a lot more because he's more, you know, more durable. And, and that's kind of exactly the way it's played out. Crone and, 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 and Arenado, their batting average and their slugging, Crone has him, and he also has him by a lot in OBP. Now, but Aaron has played a lot more. So parks matter. Now, we don't know where Story's going to land. Uh, Bush Stadium is a tough place to hit. So we you, you don't, you don't not exactly sure where Story ends up. If he ends up in Yankee Stadium and maybe moving Glover Torres over to second base, now it's a matter of looking at the numbers and can Story go the other way. Uh, things like that, but we're not going to know. We're not going to know on October season ends October third or whatever. So we're not going to know, you know, in October fifth when when we're on the clock and we're looking at story where he's going to play. So we're going to have to make, you know, how far does he drop? Uh, you know, to me, I mean, if Arenado fell to a fifth rounder or so. I think that's, and I know Story runs, but based upon what Story's done this season, I, I think the I think the fifth round is sort of maybe the high. I mean, it's going to be fifth round at best for Trevor Story. Maybe that's too, I don't know. I mean, that's my that's why I like this Kenyan draft because I could end up being all wet. But that's my gut, and who knows what the gut how it's going to turn out. I mean, with a, a strong finish, twenty five twenty five is 
possible this year. It's more likely 2020 with a low batting average. It's it's just hard because when you look at the player that Story's been on the road over the course of his career, he's been above league average in two seasons on the road in terms of WRC+. plus, He's been below league average in his other four seasons. The strikeout rate's always been a tick high, right? 27% and up, I think, everywhere on the road throughout his career. But the speed is really important to his fantasy value. I think we're seeing enough this year in that success rate, 18 for 23 as a base dealer, to think that he's probably going to keep running even on a new team. There's always a possibility he goes to a team that doesn't think it's worth it to run as much as he's been running. So then we get 10 bags instead of the possible 20. That'd be another way to be disappointed. But it's just one of these, it's one of these things that I have had a really difficult time sorting out. And I, I think part of the problem is that DJ LeMayhew's approach fit Yankee Stadium really well. And Mike Petriello had that piece because the opposite way a lot. Obviously, as a righty going the opposite way, you get the short porch in right field. That was part of why we saw DJ LeMayhew hitting more home runs with the move to Yankee Stadium, right? I don't know if Story necessarily has anything like that that's unique about him that will make him fit particularly well in a different environment. So I think using the Arenado discount, like the three to four round drop off of the ADP is probably a good place to start. And I think because he has a few different ways to make the value, I think he's an early rounder that I would be willing to take the chance on not knowing where he's going to play because there's enough good in the profile where I think it can still work. I'd be getting him expecting a decent average, but not a not a great one, right? I, I would expect 250 or 260 with power and speed. And if he ends up in a spot that's going to boost batting average a bit, terrific. But I don't want to go into a draft this early expecting all five categories from story. No, and well, I don't know where he's going to end up the season, but a 250 batting average with half your game in cores, that's going to translate, I don't know what exact, 230, 235. Because of course, pumps up batting average forty percent. So you know, half of that two fifty gets downplayed forty percent, and that gets averaged with the the, the road two fifty, and and that's just that's just coming down. And even twenty five homers is more like a eighteen or nineteen home run season. So when you start to do the weighted averages, et cetera, again, the the al the the formulaic projections are not going to like story. Now the running is going to be interesting because. He's probably maybe he takes that one year pillow deal, in which case he's going to run just to prove his worth. But if he gets a nice little extended long term contract, maybe you don't want to, you know, maybe you don't want your star shortstop to running, you know, running that much. It's all going to depend upon, uh, like you said, where he ends up. But um, I can see and, and shortstop, it's still the glamour spot. There's still so much goodness there. But I think with Tatis's injury, we'll see how in the offseason, we'll see how that all plays out. I think he's fallen. He is. I mean, he's well, he's still, you know, obviously top pick. And I think it's, you know, Frankie Lindor, Bogart's playing half the season hurt. Javier Baez, not really sure what's going on there. It's still is strong, you know, stronger than it has been. But I think it's going to take a, a, a half a notch back from where we have put it the past couple years. Although you got a guy like Wander Franco. Uh, Bo Bichette still still cranking, so you know there's still some youth coming up. Uh, but you know Car- Carlos Correa kind of had a nice little renaissance season. But I think the um, you know Tim Anderson obviously well with the injuries that's another kind of interesting player. 
how much do you judge the the, the durability of a, of a guy like Tim Anderson now? But the the shortstop aspect of of stories uh, f- fantasy potential, I don't think is going to matter all that much. But it might matter to the team. Uh, they don't want their shortstop running. Yeah, I guess that that could be a factor. And again, it depends how strong the offense is around him, how easily they put runs on the board without taking that yeah. chance too. Uh, and geez, you know, wanders, wanders 22, 22 ADP. My goodness. Uh, that's, that's a fun is, guessing game. And I mean, I, you know, we'll talk about it you know, in the off season. I'm sure maybe we'll talk about it at, at first pitch coming up, but what is baseball going to do with the ball? What are they going to do? You know, are they, now that they have the off season, are they going to come up with some mutually agreeable substance that pitchers are allowed to use? There are so many X factors that, that, that are kind of in, in that, you know, I'm relating this to steals. We'll see how much teams need to run, uh, depending upon how much they're able to score based upon the environment in 2022. If there even is a 2022. Hey, there will be a 2022 season. (laughs) I I have to hang my hat on that because I don't want to go to the dark place uh, worrying about it. I have to hang my bank account on that. Yeah, uh, you and me both. But uh, before we go, Todd, let our listeners know what you're up to here during the final month of the season. I am up to a lot of the things that I've been doing regularly, and that is uh, working with with Rotowire on the weekly hitting and pitching projections. The Z Files, I'm going to be honest, I'm kind of drawing a blank on topics lately, so I, I kind of feel guilty. I haven't really come through as much as I want to. As far as helping people on the stretch, we'll try to turn that around the last couple of weeks. Um, they still, they still haven't kicked me off. Uh, our friend, our friend, your, your former coworker, my, our buddy Clay Link and I, they still let us on the radio on Saturdays on MLB XM, Sirius XM MLB Radio. Now we're off uh, tomorrow. We're off this Saturday. There's nine one one specials, so we're not going to be on during uh, this coming Saturday. But we'll be back, and they usually have us even in the off season. So it's it's football on the on the fantasy channel. But they let Clay and I yak about baseball for an hour still. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Glad you guys have that spot. What time is that running most weeks? Um, yeah, you you know enough. <laughs> it depends upon the ball games that they're covering. It can be any. It can be one. It can be four. It can be seven. So we 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 find out literally kind of on a week to week basis based upon what ball games they're covering. And towards the end of the year, they're, they're going to be covering the games that have the biggest playoff implications, et cetera. So we, we usually tweet her out and um, and uh, let let people know. So follow Claire or I, and we, we can get that info to you. But um, knock on wood, hopefully, and we'll be preparing a little bit for, uh, for the first pitch, first pitch forums, which is now what? In a month and a week or so, we're getting close. It's coming up really quick, mid-October this year. All the details over at Baseball HQ if you'd like to make it out to Arizona this year. But uh, yeah, it, on Twitter, he's at Todd Zola. Be sure to give him a follow for not only the SiriusXM MLB schedules, but also Todd's other insight as well. And I think it's this is a really difficult time of year to come up with topics because I feel like people that are contending have very specific problems that they're trying to address. Either the combination of categories or the, the players are looking at, it's very unique. And for people that are not contending this year, they're kind of looking ahead to next year, which is why we try to sprinkle in as much content as we do 
laying the groundwork for 2022. But hopefully uh, looking at what we did wrong or a few things we might have done wrong and trying to think through some of those problems was enjoyable and helpful. Of course, uh, if you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a nice rating and review. And if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 50% off at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. One of the best deals that we have all year. Gets you everything that we cover on the site. For Todd Zola, I'm Derek Neuiper. The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast returns on Sunday. Uh-huh.